Hey now, welcome to another episode of Make Defense Great Again. My name's Chris Fasser, a.k.a. Coach Fass. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, we have Texas's defensive coordinator slash outside linebacker slash DN coach Pete Kwiatkowski, former Boise State Bronco and Washington Husky. We cover a range of topics, including their infamous cover three, which a lot of you know as burn coverage. We talk about how to stop the air raid with some interesting drop eight conversations. And then we talk about coaches' favorite simulated pressure slash creeper slash zone replace calls. And a special thank you to Coach for coming on. It was St. Patrick's Day during his spring break back in Seattle, and he took two hours out of his day to talk to me, which I am so, so appreciative of. Housekeeping. No, thank you. Sleeping. Follow me on Twitter at Coach Fast, the show's account at MDGA Podcast, as well as the offensive podcast at Run Vass Option. Speaking of the offensive podcast, check out my latest episode with Nick Caduti talking about Wide Zone was released yesterday. Come for the intricacies of Wide Zone, stay for the rant about YouTube and our friends at Catapult, which I will get to in a second. Also, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel. How appropriate. I'm talking about this. YouTube.com slash Coach Vast Football. Make sure to smash that subscribe button and turn on notifications. The long-awaited part two Pats 5.0 video will be coming out, focusing on the coverages they use. CoachTube, you can get all of my courses on sale by going to the show notes and clicking the link or go to linktree.com slash Coach Vast, and you will see all my major links, including the defensive Coach Tube course of the week. Make sure you head on over to coachfast.com. Check out the MDGA podcast store if you haven't. Summer is just around the corner and there's some t-shirts with your name on it ready to roll. So check that out. Also, if you're interested in consulting, click the consulting tab at the top of the website. Also, I've been getting a lot of questions about this. Huddle Blitz 21 Summit replays are available now on blitz.huddle.com. Just log in with your credentials and you should be good to go to watch them. Eventually, they will be migrated over where each talk will have its own blog page. But for now, blitz.huddle.com, you should be good to go. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, please do so now and leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app. I cannot stress this enough. It helps the show. It helps coaches find the show. I can't tell you how many people have found it. Because of the reviews, so those of you who are already done so, thank you so much. If you haven't already and you got a few minutes, probably won't even take that long, just hit the five stars, hit a little review, tell everyone how the show has changed your life, made you a better father and partner, whatever, make stuff up, I don't care. Just, you know, show some love. More exciting news, Coach Fast Football has booked the one and only NFL Hall of Fame quarterback, Kurt Warner, for a special Q&A session on Monday, April 5th, 2021 at 8 p.m. East. He will be answering questions submitted by you. And best of all, it is 100% free. We got him for two hours and he promised me he's ready to go and he's going to be full of energy. It's going to be a lot of fun. I know for sure I'm going to ask him about Pass Pro and some of the crazy-ass Mike Martz plays. <laughs> if you're interested in registering, which you have to do to attend bit.ly slash Kurt QA register. Again, that's bit.ly slash Kurt 
QA register. And if you want to ask Kurt a question, you can do so by submitting it at bit.ly slash KurtWarner13. Again, that's bit.ly slash KurtWarner13. I'm really looking forward to this. Okay, last thing. I usually reserve my rants until the show starts, but I wanted to take a minute to address something that's been talked about on Twitter. I actually talked about it on the Offensive Podcast, and I want to kind of recap what's going on. It's been about a week now. But my friend Nick Caduti was slapped with 59, 57, something like that DMCA complaints from Catapult, who has recently purchased Exos. And I, if you've probably seen, have gone off the deep end a little bit on Twitter about it. Not only did they file a DMCA complaint, which is basically a copyright complaint, they did so many that his channel got pulled and sent him a message that if he was to try to fight it, they would take him to court, basically threatened him. Eh, basically, they threatened him. And if you listen to the offensive podcast or if you've read any of my tweets, that set me over the edge. Companies like this have been doing this to coaches for a long time. A guy like Nick spent a lot of time uploading a lot of content for coaches, and Catapult has taken it upon themselves to try to take it down. I personally argue that it's under the fair use doctrine. Some may disagree, and that's fine. But I want to take a stand. These companies have harassed coaches. They've gone after James Light. They've gone after Nick. I assume after I've made the noise that I've made, they're going to come after me. The reality of the situation is that college football film right now has never been more available than it is. Schools have made a deal where they all share each other's films with every single, I, th- I know for sure it's FBS, I'm almost positive it's also the FCS schools. There is no longer a competitive disadvantage by having publicly available film because every school has each other's film. There's no more hiding it. It's all available to every single school. Also, companies like Catapult and Exos make a lot of money off of us. They have a recruiting service where they deal with the kids directly. It's free for them. And they charge these colleges and make a ton of money off of our players. What they've done by not only doing the DMCA claims, but threatening coaches. We are the backbone. High school coaches are the backbone of this game. Most of us make pennies on the dollar per hour for everything that we do. And all we want to do is be able to watch things in peace to help us become better coaches. The end of the day to make our players better, and if those players are good enough, to help them get to the next level, and when they arrive at the next level, they are prepared, they understand technique, and they have a seamless transition. And we don't have the resources. We don't get the film. We all have to scavenge. There is no college game pass, which I told them directly they should do. And then when coaches actually find it, they come after them and threaten lawsuits. Are you kidding me? So I realize I'm just a guy who has a podcast, who has a microphone, and I help some schools out and all that, but I'm just one person. I am doing a call to action. I am asking you that the next time that you talk to a college recruiter, I want you to ask them if they use Catapult. And if they say yes, I want you to tell them what they are doing to us coaches. And how they are targeting us 
and threatening us. And let's be honest, a guy like Nick, a guy like James, they either have a day job or they teach. Nick just got a brand new head coaching job in the state of Texas. So what happens is they threaten him. The coaches don't know the laws really well. And they just decide to take their ball and go home and say, you know what? I don't want to deal with this. I don't need this. And they just fold up shop. Well, I'm not going to do that. I got all the time in the world. And if, as I've said on Twitter, if this becomes my new life mission to fight for you guys and to make sure that we don't get bullied anymore by companies who take advantage of the fact that we're so damn busy coaching kids or that we don't want to fight. Well, I'm going to fight and I'm asking you to do your part. Make these coaches aware of this. This company is offering free services to our players, turning around and selling that information to colleges and then trying to get the coaches that coach these kids in trouble. I likened it to a a talent scout or a casting coordinator going after an agent in Hollywood and then trying to get that agent's actor to go sign up for a movie for them. It's insane, and it's got to stop. So I'm asking you, ask these college coaches if they say yes. Tell them what's going on because I guarantee you they have no clue And I know this because guys that use this service in the last 48 hours that have reached out to me and said, oh, my God, I had no idea this was going on. They don't know. And it's time that we as a group fight back. I have dedicated my life to help coaches. And I'll be damned if we are doing things that are well within the law that we're going to get scared off from trying to help each other. I'm not going to stand for it. And I hope that you join me. And making some noise about this because unless we do, nothing's going to change. And these harassing emails are going to keep going. And the best part of the story is Nick reached out to them 10 different times and they never got back to him. So they send a threatening email and then never respond. I'm not standing for it anymore. And frankly, if you think your voice doesn't matter, you're wrong. Just in the last 24 hours since I have released the offensive podcast. I've had reps from the company reach out. I've had multiple schools that use this service that are ticked and have passed the message along. And if it keeps happening or gets worse, and we were to say, tell some of these schools that use this service, hey, we're not going to talk to you until you go talk to this company and tell them to lay off. I guarantee you all it would take is one or two phone calls from a powerful head coach to say, you got to stop. And we'll be left alone. So please make your voice heard so we can share information in a comfortable fashion. And if these guys are smart, they do what the NBA does. They do what the NFL does. If a channel's monetizing it, they would just take the money and let the content stay up. Oftentimes, short-sightedness wins out, creating not a winning business model. All right, my soapbox is away. And here is Coach K. Get into it, man. My guest today is Pete Kwiatkowski, defensive coordinator and outside linebacker slash DN coach at the University of Texas at Austin. Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited. I don't know, Coach. I'm uh, pretty excited about this. I've been following your career since 2006 when you were back at Boise. I was a lowly San Jose State staffer when we played you guys in that close game. 
back at our place, which was the same year you had your magical run and you beat Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, and I've been following your career ever since. Especially when you went over to Seattle, I've been a Husky fan for a long time. I love Seattle, spent some time there. And now you're at one of my other favorite cities in the country, Austin. So you've uh, you've been pretty lucky in terms of some pretty cool places you've got to live. Plus, to be a part of a storied program like the University of Texas. So first, congratulations on the job. And I know you guys are starting spring ball next week, right? Yeah, we start uh, <clears throat> with a Tuesday, Tuesday next week. Um, we're gonna get this thing going. That's great stuff. Now, before we get into the weeds. And I know I've already kind of gone over the last decade and a half of your career, and I hope I didn't steal your thunder. But if you wouldn't mind, take the listeners through your career path and how you ended up in Austin, Texas. Yeah, um, well, I'm just gonna be my 34th year of coaching. Um, but I, you know, went to Boise State, played D line at Boise State, and was uh, fortunate to play for um, head coach Lyle Sensich, was a defensive guy. Um, and my D line coach was Bill Dutton, um, who, who's, um, he's passed away now, but he was uh, very influential on me from, um, you know, from a foundation standpoint as a coach is like, you know, teaching me how to play the position, the importance of pad level technique and, you know, the, the toughness and the, the mental toughness that goes into playing D line and defense and football in general. You know, you know, as a as a as a player, uh, you don't realize all that until you know you reflect on your on your past, and you know, obviously, that wasn't in the forefront when as a player. But looking back on it, that was a huge huge imprint on my uh, in the way I coach, um, um, and the you know the foundation that uh, that I have. And so then from there, I, I got into coaching at Boise State after a cup of coffee in the in the NFL and CFL. And, and then from, um, from Boise, I went to, uh, I went to snow college for four months from snow, went to Eastern Washington for two years and then Montana state for six. That was my first defensive coordinator, um, opportunity. And then from there, I went to uh, Boise state when coach Peterson got hired. Oh, six. That was our first year that you, you referred to. And, I was a D-line coach for four years. Uh, coach Wilcox, Justin, was the coordinator, and then he went to uh, Tennessee, and I became the D coordinator, and I, I was the D coordinator for Coach Pete until, uh, until um, you know, a couple years ago, me and Jimmy switched roles, and, and then uh, um, now um, I'm at Austin, Texas. So um, that's just a, that's a glimpse of my uh, – my path, but along the way, I, I, I was able to have a lot of, a lot of great mentors and, and coaches that influenced me from, um, from X's and O's to technique, to how to, how to, how to treat players. And, uh, I already mentioned Lyle Sensich and, um, Bill Dutton, they're a big, big part of my foundation. And, um, from a technical standpoint and, and then, Pokey Allen was uh, a big influence on me at Boise State when he came in, and his um, that's where I learned how it wasn't offense versus defense uh, mentality on the team. We were a team, and everybody's working together, and all, all three phases are are uh, are important. And um, he he was an awesome 
awesome guy. Um, I'm glad I had that opportunity. And then, and then after that, um, worked for Mike Kramer at Eastern Washington, Montana state. He gave me my first opportunity as a defensive coordinator. And then, um, and then I moved it back to Boise state and worked for coach Peterson for, it was 14 years. Uh, was it 14? It's all blending together. 14 years. Yeah. <laughs> Eight at yeah. Boise and uh, six at Washington. And uh, I can't, can't tell you how much I learned from that, from that, that guy, uh, unbelievable person, unbelievable coach. And, um, and then um, when we were at Boise, um, Jimmy Lake, I, who I worked with at Eastern, he was a player at Eastern. And then, he started coaching my, my last, my second year at Eastern. And then um, we hooked up again at Montana state for a year. And then when I went to Boise state, he went to the NFL and then we hooked back up when I became the coordinator. Um, when I was a coordinator at Boise and then he came as uh, the secondary coach and we went to Washington with coach Peterson. And I learned a lot, a lot um, uh, from the coverage standpoint from him over the, over the last 12 years. And so, yeah, that's a, that's a snapshot of, uh, my background and the guys that, uh, I've worked with and worked for that uh, have influenced me over the years. And I'm sure I've, I've, uh, omitted people, uh, um, that, um, you know, not, not, not because I, I'm leaving obviously probably just somewhere along the way. There's a lot of people that helped me and, I might be, I'm, I know I'm admitting some, somebody along the way. Yeah, I do it all the time, man. It's St. Patty's day too. I, you all is forgiven. I'm sure that, uh, nobody will hold it against you. Um, but so a couple things, one coach's story is a, a cautionary tale to everyone. Um, that always treat people with respect because here's coach at Eastern Washington. One of his players ends up being his boss down the road <laughs> and not only, <laughs> not only his boss, but he actually, I mean, you, you basically helped. I mean, nothing, not, I'm not taking anything away from coach Lake, but you helped get his career started. No. Yeah. Um, he remembers it better than I do, but uh, he, 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 he uh, tells the story all the time. I was one of the, one of the guys that talked him into getting into coaching. That's um, crazy. He was a businessman, you know, he was a business major coming out of Eastern and, you know, he wanted to make a lot of money and, and, you know, have, have that good life. And, and, um, yeah, I, I, I was one of the guys that talked him into giving the coach coaching, coaching a try and he got the bug. Yeah. It's a virus you can't shake. It's funny, my mentor, I'm sure you know Keith Burns, he was at San Jose State when I was there. Um, you know, he 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 taught me that lesson young in coaching. Like I mean, you treat people with respect anyway, but especially, you know, it's a small profession. He said that I, I joked around one day with him. I said, Wouldn't it be funny if I ever hired you? And I was like, literally, I say, I joke, I wasn't the lowest man on the totem pole. I was like the part of the totem pole that they have to like bury into the ground to get it to stand straight. Like I was below the ground. Um, but right, right. Um, you couldn't even see me. I was like underground getting wet. But um, you know, he, he says, you know, Vass, when I was, cause he was a Mr. Football, Texas played at Arkansas. He goes, you know, when I was young and immature, I used to laugh at guys like you. 
you know, he said he was at, he was visiting the Browns or something, and there was this guy who could barely throw a football and was seemed out of place, and they were kind of looking around, and it turned out to be Eric Mangini. <laughs> he ended up being an NFL head coach. You know, he's told me countless stories. Uh, one of his GAs at USC is Joe Barry. You know, he was a defensive coordinator for the Lions. Uh, he said, yeah, I was the DC at USC at 33 years old, and my D-line coaches, because I asked him about D-line playing, and, and he he plays the country part, like, joking around, but, like, he's like, man, I don't know anything about D-line. I was like, how are you a defensive coordinator in SEC and Pac-12 and don't know anything about D-line? He goes, man, I don't know. When I was at SC, my D-line coaches were Rod Marinelli and Ed Ogeron. It's like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just it's just crazy right. how this business works. But now I got to ask you this. You hear this stuff about regional coaches and things because you, you were you're a SoCal guy, right? Santa Barbara? Yeah. I yep. did my homework. In, That's right. Grew up in Yep. Before I went to Boise. Exactly. Yeah. So you've been a West Coast guy. I mean, from Santa Barbara to Boise, you've been in the Pacific Northwest for the last, uh, what, six years, seven years. And well, Boise's not considered the Pacific Northwest, right? It's too far east, correct? Boise? Um, Would that be Pacific Northwest question. or is that too far I, east? I think, it's, I, I think it still is. Um, I think it's still in that. Um, technically no, but you know, it's that between the Northwest Pacific Northwest and the Rockies, you know? So, I mean, if you're, if you're a national, if you're from across the, the country, you're looking at it and go, yeah, that's part of the Pacific Northwest. You know, if you're from over <laughs> I was here. just about to say where yeah. I'm from, anything West of Minnesota is the Northwest. Yeah. That's Northwest, right? Yeah, exactly. I know you've only been there and you haven't really haven't even started spring ball and it's only been a couple months, but is there really that much of an adjustment from going from one part of the country to the other? I mean, I, I grew up in Orlando, went to school in Miami, but I went to the Silicon Valley. It was very, the differences weren't far apart in terms of like the people and the, the vibe right. and stuff. Has there been much of like a, a difference, do you think, going from the, being in the Pacific yeah. Northwest and the West Coast your, your whole career to now being in the South? No, um, not, 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 not Austin. Um, Austin's very much a, got a big city vibe and, um, you know, there's, there's similarities between Seattle and Boise. Um, um, there's a lot of similarities, but you know, the, the business and the growth and, and, uh, not necessarily the weather, but, uh, you know, the people, um, the, you know, the country's gotten so mobile, um, you know, you're, you're talking and meeting people from all over the country um, in Austin now. So it, it was, it was, it has not been, uh, it's not been a hard, hard change at all. Austin is home to my favorite bar in the whole world, the Spider House. You been there yet? I've not been there. I have not. Nope. Oh man, I went there. I visited UT in the spring of 15 and ended up going there. And there was like goth kids and the preppy kids. And there was like <laughs> these really nice parts of the bar that, you know, looked just like, you know, super classy. And then I went outside and rounded the corner and there was like Mario Kart just hooked up like an old Nintendo 64. It's the greatest thing ever. But, you know, honestly, when Sark left Washington, I was bummed because I went in back when you could still do this. I coached a 
a camp at Washington during the summer. I think it was July. And uh, in, I believe it was 2013. Yeah, 2013, uh, we hung out. The head coach, Sarah's brother, the Eagle, Nicholas Walsh, and I went up and hung out with Tosh and, and Coach Wilcox and everything and had a blast. And so when he left, I was kind of bummed. But then Coach Peterson got the job and obviously have all the respect in the world for him and, and you and and, um, and Coach Lake and all that. And now to see you and Sark together in Texas, I'm really, really excited to tell you. The Big 12 is crowded with some amazing coaches. I mean, I've been a dyed-in-the-wool TCU guy for a very long time in terms of our defensive scheme. Right. I've got friends at Oklahoma, Baylor, now Texas again. Uh, I was friends with uh, Chris Vaughn, who was the corners coach. I think he was the, I don't know if he was the corners or corners and safeties at Texas back in the Charlie Strong days. So, uh, you know, Iowa State. I mean, it's just such a cool league with so many really great people in it. And uh, I'm really excited for you. Yeah, no, it's it's. Uh, I'm excited to obviously I've been in the West my whole life and just come to the Big Twelve and and University of Texas and have have different battles uh, against good coaches, good programs. Um, back back in that brings that reminds me of a story. Back we played TCU in the Poinsettia Bowl in 2000 and after the 2008 season. So that'd be the oh, 2009 yeah. bowl, bowl um, cycle. Right. And, and then they beat us uh, by a touchdown. Um, they hit us on a route. We call it the TC route now, but it's like a quarters beater where number, number two runs a corner and number one does a, like a hitch and go. And it's like a switch pattern. Mm-hmm. They, they, they hit that on us one time. And then um, anyway, we uh, that off season, they, I uh, reached out to Coach Patterson, asked if we could go and visit visit with him, and and um, me and Justin and Marcel Yates, our, our secondary coach, we all flew out there. I forgot about and, Marcel. I saw Marcel at a clinic a couple years after I saw. I totally forgot about Marcel. Yeah, Marcel. I feel yep. bad if you listen, and, uh, Marcel. Apologies, I didn't mention you in the group. Yeah, no doubt. But we go out there and uh, and you know we, we talk ball and have a good barbecue and it was it was awesome and then play our seasons and then we end up playing each other in the Fiesta Bowl that that next season 2000, 2009 after the two thousand nine season two thousand and ten I think the final score was like seventeen to ten or fourteen to ten or is that when you got him on the fake punt. That we we got him on the yeah the Riddler special to uh, to get us in position. I can't remember if we we I think we ended up scoring a touchdown after that. Yeah, I think yeah, you did. Man. And then I think you scored the winning I touchdown. We, I don't know. You'd better you know better than I am. Yeah. I no, it, it was a close game. I, I can't remember. If it was they scored fourteen or ten, or we scored fourteen or seventeen. But yeah, it was it was less than seven or less difference and. You know, it was. Um, I just look. I go. <laughs> Coach Patterson never. I mean, probably never dawned us that we might play each other again the next year in the bowl game. But anyway, I was very appreciative of it. And then two years later, they joined your conference. Didn't weren't they, you guys then in the same conference? We we joined we joined the Mountain West because we were whack, and then went to the Mountain West. That's right. That's yeah. Because the following year, 
you guys played for the conference championship, right? Or was that two years after? No, it was in uh, 2011. Um, the next year, they beat they beat us in in uh, in Bronco Stadium, like 48, 47 or something. Yeah, I watched that game yeah. on the bus coming back. I was coaching D three ball in Millsaps. That's so funny. That's probably why he's so paranoid now about because they they don't let anybody in. Like yeah. ever since he's gone to the Big Twelve, it is lockdown and. That's uh, probably it. That could have been it. You yeah. Know? I mean, not like, not like we, that was the reason we, you know, it was like whatever, but I was, I always say it's like when you talk to other coaches, it's, it's information, right? And it's not, it's still comes down to how your guys execute it. Yeah. And so, well, and they're so game plan heavy. You, you, they'll do some crazy quadruple call front versus you. And you can't right. prepare for it because they're gonna. He's gonna start from scratch every week. So that's the other thing. It's like right. it, it, it's almost like you know because we've run the system. We use the exact same language and everything. And my offensive, my best friend at Sarah Stephen Lowe is the offensive coordinator at St. John Bosco. And he's like, if we ever had to play each other, I would go insane. But then I would just realize, like, oh god, we just need to find simple concepts because I would go so crazy, being like, okay. Four years ago, they did this versus a team that was similar. But then I know that you're going to start from scratch anyway. You may do something you've never done before. Right. But, uh, <laughs> so it doesn't even – It actually, sometimes knowing too much works against you, you know. Uh, but, yeah, that's uh, it's a great – it's a fun conference. And now I have – I mean, I, I was doing actually a, a thing with Sirius Radio, but I ended up having to end it for some scheduling commitments where I was watching, like, the Big 12 game of the week. So I was really in tune this past season. I would just do like a 15 minute radio spot, but I love the big 12. It's it's so much fun and I'm glad you're in it. And I think you and coach Sark and crew being in there is going to make the conference better. And I'm, I'm uh, hoping that when COVID goes away, I can add another stop to my, my big 12 uh, st- oh, yeah. Come on down. <laughs> trip. I got, you guys, I'll have to start in Austin. I'll go to Waco. Well, Fort Worth, I ain't allowed in Fort Worth. Uh, I think I'm on the side of every milk card there in Fort Worth. They ain't let me in. And uh, then I'll go up to uh, Oklahoma. I'm excited to introduce Coach Vast Defense, a comprehensive out-of-the-box defensive system with everything you need to coordinate a top-tier defense coming in early 2025. The system is a one-stop shop and comes with a complete, robust defensive scheme with tools to get into any structure, including even, odd, mint tight, bare, stack, three high, and more. It comes with an NFL-level playbook with run fits and route matches, narrated install videos with a schedule for implementation, and a library of answers for every offense you will see, including the spread 11 personnel offense du jour, the air raid, the Bryles offense, option schemes including the flex bone, the wing tee, three back, and much more. It also comes with a drill and game film library, live in-season game planning sessions, templates to help you organize practice, opponent breakdown, and tools to make you a better play caller. Whether you're new to coordinating or a grizzled vet looking for new ideas, this system will have something for everyone. If you want to see all the details of the system, visit coachfastdefense.com and make sure to sign up for the mailing list to get updates and invitations to webinars to have your say in the system's creation so all of your coaching needs are met. Again, go to coachfastdefense.com, check out the details, and sign up for the mailing list. This past season, coaches across the country used CoachPad to be more efficient with their scout cards 
for prep on the weekends and on the practice field with their scout team. Whether you're using a computer program to create your scout cards or drawing them by hand, the Coach Pad is for you. Some of the features coaches enjoyed the most this past season was never printing paper or stuffing a binder, the scout team being able to see their cards clearly, even in the bright sun, and using the Coach Pad on game day to sync diagrams from the press box to the sideline. This offseason, get yours at thecoachpad.com and get your program ready for next season. Again, that is thecoachpad.com. Talking some scheme here. So, in 2016, actually, I guess I do have one more story for you to lead into this. I go, I was 16 or 17. I went down to Clovis and I installed their defense for them, or I was teaching them a bunch of it. And um, I went back to my head coach's house, Rich Hammond, and uh, we were talking about playing some different coverages and whatnot. And he showed me Colorado playing cover three. And he said, hey, check out this trip's coverage. And it was basically strong side rotation, match three to trips. But you, uh, but they were playing it a little differently than a lot of other people. And I was really right. intrigued. And he said, actually, they stole this from Washington. And, and I guess, I don't know if it was the year before, Colorado did a study. And the trips coverages that gave their offense the most problem was when you played them. And so mm-hmm. they're like, well, if you can't beat them, join them kind of a deal. So they they kind of pieced the coverage together, put their own spin on it, whatever, and started doing it. And so I saw it. And it's funny because I've been actually trying to connect with you for a couple of years now. Uh, you and Coach Lake and and our mutual friend, Adir Ravapati, who helped me uh, kind of set this, not set up the interview, but uh, kind of helped me teach me some of the stuff so I could talk intelligently to you today. Uh, by the way, shout out to Tim Tullock, who actually set this up, the head coach at CSM. He's a legend. And uh, former former employee, Hanson Sakona, who's also at uh, CSM, helped me brief me too. But uh, so he was, I asked him about the coverage, and I think he'd reached out to Hanson. So I was like trying to piece it all together. And so we started experimenting with it. And then I remember I, along with 90% of, High school coaches now we're studying Dave Aranda. And I remember not hearing the name or, or I, I kind of remembered it, cause, but I couldn't remember if it was the Colorado version or your version. Cause you know, things get jumbled up when you're learning them in pieces. Right. And so I'm watching LSU and uh, coach Aranda's talking about burn coverage. And I'm like, I think that's it. I think, and I just, the name clicked in my head. And then he goes on and explains weak side rotation versus two by two strong side rotation versus three by I'm like, Oh my God, that's it. And so I was all excited. So the first thing when, uh, you know, I talked to uh, Coach T at CSM and he had mentioned you, I said, I want to talk to him about burn coverage. I wasn't even sure if that's what you guys had called it, but, you know, talking to talking to Hanson and doing some of my own research, it turns out it is. So if we could start there, talking through to the listeners. So burn coverage is a automatic kind of give the overview for the listeners it's a it's a two by two. It's a weak side rotation cover three match three match yep. rules, and then versus three by one. A lot of teams that people follow, the Bamas, the Georgias, the Saban kind of tree. They still play weak side rotation, but and you and you guys do this too. You have a call where you can just play weak side rotation no matter what. But uh, for you Sabanites, because mm-hmm. I got a lot of I got a lot of different. Uh, 
schools of people that listen. The Sabanites, this would be an adjusted call. So basically, if it's three by one, now you're going to play buzz. You're buzzing strong. Your strong safety is going to come down in a strong hook and play there, and it's going to play out like match three. Am I good so far? Yeah. And if, and if it's two by two, they would call it uh, Ripley's. Yep. Ripley's um, match. Yep. So talk to us, if you wouldn't mind. Let's start. I mean, the corners are basically, they're playing man-to-man no matter what, correct? Um, when, when we're playing uh match, uh, yes. they're, they're man. Yep. Correct. All right. So how did the overhangs play? What were you teaching them? What were the main coaching points? So the, the, you know, the flat players, um, they, they were, they're the guys that control whether we're going to zone it or play, um, play gone to um and it's all based off a of game plan split um and the, the width and distribution of the wide receivers um so if they're playing gone they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be man on anything vertical and outside <clears throat> uh, and then um if they play zone it then we're gonna play tr- traditional uh you know curl there'll be a curl flat drop and and the hooks a hook curl drop and so that's that's really the the basis of it, and then the intricacies of it gets into when you want them playing gone versus when you want them playing zone it. Right. So you you mentioned split flank. If and I'm guessing you didn't mention this, but I'm guessing if you're seeing a tight end into the boundary, who let's say it's two by two, why off a tight end's in the boundary. Mm-hmm. He's more of a guy that's going to come across and slice and kick out. He's not a real big vertical threat. Are you mm-hmm. thinking more to play like a zone there or to try to give the corner some help? That's a situation. Well, I mean, you could do either. Um, if you want it, if you want the corner to play tight on one with potential for, for body help, you can, you can go on it. Um, the underneath coverage is going to end up zoning it off. Uh, off the description that you just gave. Um, but the corner is going to be playing tight and tough. And then if you wanted to zone it and then we give the quarter some, some relief or, you know, he's playing off or he's playing press bail. Um, then, then you have that, that safety flat player zone, uh, you know, zone it. And then he's giving that body help, um, to the safety. The, the whole, the whole premise behind, um, and this, the, the catalyst for going to post defense cover three match cover three was just the RPO, you know, offenses where you're putting your curl flat players in conflict with a run and pass. Right. And um, not being able to play tight coverage in zone. Right. And so it was either true zone or it was man and, either one of them has, has its strengths and weaknesses. And so the ability to play, to put it on the players a little bit, teach them which when you wanted to play man, when you want to play zone, that was the, that was the genesis or the catalyst or the, the answer to, um, you know, these offenses where they're trying to get your linebackers in conflict. 
Right. And because I know your first year at Washington back in 14, you guys were big in quarters and then you made that switch going into the 15 season, correct? Right. And that's, that was the answer, right? Play tight quarters. That's your answer. You, yeah. You're going to play tight coverage, but now you're, you're middle of the field's open. And so now your corners are, they, they, they're, they're out there now. They got to, they got to hold up on, you know, post dig and double post and just all the, you know, all the four beaters that the offenses are doing. So being able to play man coverage with the post, um, you know, helps defend all that RPO or the shot plays. And then um, when they give you the looks where you don't want to, you don't want to be in man, then you zone it off. And um, right. so you got you still got good edges. You still got good um, run support and vision on the ball. And the ball does get through the, in, through the second level, you know, you, you got, you got eyes and, and um, you, you know, not giving up big, big runs. Right. Um, so when I, I saw, I mentioned Coach Wilcox, it was at the old, I don't know if you ever spoke at this, it was at the old all sports clinic in Burlingame. They had one in Seattle too. Um, in Burlingame, bro. I, yeah. I knew the one, the one I was knew about was, was by SeaTac or, um, you know, somewhere down there in Seattle. Yeah, they had one in Seattle, mm-hmm. and then they had one in the Bay Area by the San Francisco airport. And oh, 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 you said Berlin. I was thinking of, I was thinking of the, a different Berlin. Oh, okay, yeah. one up in Washington. <laughs> oh yeah, Berlin yeah. game is the city. It's actually, uh, yeah, it was in Berlin. It yeah, was in your Bill by, game or Millbrae. Right by the airport. Yep. It's right by the airport. Mm-hmm. Yep. So here I am sitting in the audience, had a great mentor, quarters guy. You know, he had me brainwashed. And, um, you know, Coach Wilcox is speaking. I'm 25 years old. I think I got all the answers in the world. I'm feeling invincible. Maybe I was was younger than I was like 23. And somebody asked Coach Wilcox a question about quarters on third down. And, you know, he said, uh, no, we don't like quarters on third down because it's four across man with a four man pass rush. And I was like, oh, my God, he's right. <laughs> and it was like when I mentioned earlier about, like, he changed the way I thought, like, one sentence opened up my brain to a whole. And again, and I know a lot of people are listening. Like, yeah, no shit, dude. But <laughs> right. when you're 23 and you just do what people tell you to do because you're like, I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? You don't you don't have the context to really be calling your own shots you're like hey this guy makes a lot of money doing this and he's much smarter than me and he's telling me to do this so i'm gonna do it which isn't a bad plan when you're a young guy <laughs> so but yeah i remember him saying that and i went kicking and screaming and part of my trip to that that i mentioned going to texas in 15 and i mentioned this in uh two pods ago was i was a quarters guy and i went and visited texas and they're like hey you know you maybe should get away from some of that stuff. It's going to hurt you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and then I, I drive up to TCU in quarters land, and I visit Paul Gonzalez, who's the safeties coach there. And I said, you know, I was at Texas, and they're saying we need to get out of this true quarter stuff. And he goes, yeah, we are. I'm like, wait, what? And it was like this movement around that time. A lot of people, I think it was the same year. Yeah, going into 2015. People... Right. We're getting away from it, but I was in Northern California where, you know, 
they're still running the wing T and the double wing and the single wing. And, and we got away right. with a lot of that stuff. And so mm-hmm. I know that for us quarters guys, we that have really, really were successful with it early on. We we've gone kicking and screaming, but I really love the gun stuff. And so now talking about the outside players, I got a couple quick questions for you. So the, the flat players, the gone players, whatever you refer to them as, uh, the questions I always get, and this is kind of where the variations go from defense to defense, where you see one team will do something a certain way. You know, I've talked to the Alabama guys. When they get fast threes, they will push it and it will turn into a zone it automatically. I've right. seen guys that game plan it. I've seen guys that never push it. The backer stays on it. The the nickel stays on number two, and that's that. How do right. you play that, those fast three? So two by two, fast three to the field. Is it a game plan thing, or are you always zoning yeah. it, or are you always just leaving on on as a gone call? Um, it depends on – so if we play gone, it's going gonna, it's gonna to play gone. If we play zone it, it's going to play zone it. Um, and the whole basis behind that is take away – indecision and making sure everybody's on the same page. So, um, yeah, we're going to stick with our rule based off of what the, the, the flat player calls and then, and then go with it. And so, um, that's how we do it. And it makes the most sense. If it's zone it, we will play zone it. If it's gone, we're going to play gone. No questions asked. And so that's, that clears things up. Now with those flat players, are you having them? And I maybe maybe you guys played it with different DB coaches or whatever, but I'm guessing they've got to be outside leverage unless they get way oversplit. Uh, are yep. you having yep. them? Because like uh, for example, I've seen teams where they scooch like a kick slide back. I've seen teams that play it more like catch. Like I know Coach Aranda played it like catch in some points. Yeah. How do you teach those guys, or does it depend on the player? It really comes back to what the player can do. Um, but, yeah, you start out, you know, trying to teach and see if they can do scooch. Um, some guys are good at catching. Um, and then, um, you know, it's, I guess, I don't want to say you pedal out <laughs> because that's defeating the, the purpose of, um, you know, playing tight coverage. Um, right. It's like a cross between a pedal and a scooch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're splitting here. It's just they're like a shuffle. Bit, yeah, they're just getting out a little bit faster. So keeping that cushion. Um, you know, the the biggest the biggest pain in the the rear for that coverage is a route we call hide seam, right? Where you know, with number the number two receivers running the the fade and one's running a hitch. Oh yeah. And, I mean, it's tough in any man coverage. It's just all that space for that, for that, um, that guy that's in man, um, and that fade's running away from the post player. <clears throat> so, you know, that's where mixing in and having some different, different, um, little tools you can give those guys. So that, <clears throat> that was the biggest thing that we, after our, the first year we ran, was it the first, it was the first or second year. It was the second year, you know, just having different tools because we started being, we started getting really good at it. And 
and then obviously offenses start catching up and they started designing routes to beat that. And so you just had to, you had to start <clears throat> coming up with some different tools for the guys to, you know, it might look like it's going to be gone, but, but it turns into be, to be um, zone. And then all the see some, some different coverages off of that look. So quarterback can't just sit there or if they're a look back team, they can't just look at you from the sideline and then tell them, tell them what to run. Um, it's create some indecision. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. So we talked about this, uh, I'm here. I've done some, some clinics on it where you're starting to see that stuff that's been gone for about 20, 25 years where, you know, I, I, and I know I, this is a reductionist view of it. I'm a little younger. Uh, so I wasn't really around for this, but I call it the old buddy Ryan coverages. Cause that's where I saw it first. I'm, I'm not saying he's the one that created it, but right. the stuff where he's lining up in one high and then running, you know, the swipe and thumbs, the seven swipe where you're lining up in one high and then buzzing that middle of the field guy to the bar to the field, the corner plays the boundary half and the back outside backer swipes the one and, you're starting to right, see that right. stuff come back that was gone for because for so many for so long people stopped lining up in one high they would be in two and roll down to one, but now like right. you know, I talked to Ron Roberts a while ago about this they were talking about they bring they have a creeper I'm not sure what you call them but I know you run them the zone replace pressures where they yep. bring the boundary safety and I said versus two by two and I said well I, or they bring the boundary safety and I said well. Versus two by two, do you switch it to the back? Or he said, no. And I, I kind of was surprised. So you don't? And he goes, no, we're a one high team. If we lined up in too high on, on a regular down, people would be like, you know, what, what are they doing? They it would basically give it away by lining up in too high. And I was just like, wow, like, everything's kind of come full circle. And so when I went and visited Bama, and I'm not saying anything out of turn now because this was in 2019 when and there's been two seasons since then, but they were working on a lot of that stuff. They were working on lining up in one high and different things where they were taking the nickel and pushing him to the field half and then doing it where it was a strong side rotation where the middle guy was going to the field half and what we just talked about. Right. And so it's been fun to watch. I had a, a, a and I'm starting to feel older now. I had a, I'm, I just turned 37 last week but i i consult some real young guys that 23 24 that are just starting getting coaching and they're he's like did you see this new coverage this team was running and it was that and i'm like god i feel old <laughs> you see this stuff and you're like yeah well back when i was learning you know this is what they were doing and i felt like one of those yeah, guys that's the one thing uh all these coverages have been around for a long time it's just they get uh you know these some teams run them a little bit here and there or more and everything gets recycled. And, um, you know, like you brought this, you know, the Colorado guys, uh, copying, um, something they saw and I, every, everything that I've learned over the years and done it, it's, it's, um, I've studied somebody else and stole it from somebody else and then put, put, put between me and the other guys on the staff, put our little spin on it. Um, it, it, it's hard to, uh, it's hard. It would be hard to doc, go back and document who actually invented what coverages. Um, I mean, I think you'd have to go back to the, the 50s, 60s. Well, I've actually been talking about that a lot lately, you know, every day, and this is kind of sad and slightly morbid to think about, but every day 
there are old coaches passing away and this game is always about moving forward. The next game, we, you know, you ask Tom Brady, what's his favorite Super Bowl? The next one. We don't often look back a lot. And I think because we're always pushing forward, we're always thinking ahead. Right. I think we lose in some of that. And guys like myself, who because of life circumstances have stepped away from day-to-day coaching and do consulting and whatever else. Like I've really been thinking about this a lot lately. Like, thinking about maybe making my project for 2022 is, is really spending my time talking to the SEPTA and octogenarian coaches that are getting up there and learn some of the history about this stuff. Because, you know, I don't know any football coaches that write journals or diaries, you know what I mean? So, and, and this stuff gets, and you know how coaches to stories get twisted and turned and not, not by any sort of maliciousness, but it's just like anything in life. You tell a story, you leave out a detail, yeah. you accidentally embellish another one. Like, that's a history of humanity, right? Right, there. exactly. And, you know, and I feel like a lot of history is getting lost, and and I, I think that that's something that I I think we need to preserve more. But anyway, I didn't want to turn this one to anthropology podcast, but uh, <laughs> so uh, all right. So you're playing low shoulder with those flat players. If like, say you get a quick slant, say you're getting zone lock with a glance, those guys are yep. gonna are they gonna undercut that out or un- undercut the out? They're gonna undercut that slant. They they will not under well to the ball they will yeah right but they're going to be on that high shoulder until the until they see the ball come and then, out. yeah and then they'll try to undercut and pick it off if they if yeah if they can okay or you know they're going to try and secure the tackle bring the off arm across the body okay yeah now the question so this is now where and a lot of people have seen match the match three stuffers two by two it's been very popular especially the last seven to ten years. Where it gets a little different for you guys is three by one. And this is the burn component for you guys that Correct. I know I've got a lot of a land, uh, a Randa fans that listen to this. And a lot of it isn't just that so much as, you know, everybody looks up to coach Aranda, but what ends up happening is, and I know that this may upset you coach, but coaches stuff, shocker, they do get leaked online. And so a lot of times it's, and it's not malicious. It's one of these things where people just want to learn. Like, you know, they just want to, they, they don't have access. Like, I'm lucky. Last night right. at 2 a.m., I texted a deer and I was like, hey, you said you had a guy that worked at Washington. Because um, I had had all these questions lined up. And then I started watching your games from last year and you guys were playing a lot of four, two palms. And I was like, wait, I thought it was going to be, I, I thought they played the burn stuff and I thought they did this. And I thought they did that because right. I'd watched your older stuff. Cause I had some film and so I was like, let me turn on and see what they've done the last couple of years. So I had a mini panic attack and uh, a deer hooked me up with Hanson. And I was able to get a whole in an hour, get a whole rundown on this because of the podcast. And it turns out Hanson's a big fan of the podcast. I'm lucky. I'm very, very lucky that I can pick up the phone and call somebody like you and ask a question or whatever. And so the stuff gets out there and they want to learn it. And so the word burn has become really popular because of Coach Aranda and that stuff getting out there. And so when I talked to Hanson yesterday and he, I said, and I asked him, I said, do they call this burn? And he said, yes. I said, okay, a lot of people are going to be excited to hear this because it kind of the genesis. Now, you guys in 15, kind of going back a little bit, you went and visited Coach Aranda to to do some of this stuff, right? 
Yeah, we were we were. I was interested in the the simulated. Um, they were, you know they they were really good defense. Um, uh, and then I had a I had a connection with Dave uh, through um, Lyle Sensich. Mm-hmm. Like Lyle Kurtzich gave um, Dave one of his early early starts. Um, I can't remember if it was at Cal Poly, or Cal Lutheran, I believe. Texas Tech. Well, he, that's where he went to school. Oh yeah. Cal Lewis. And then um, when he just got when he started getting into it, I, I can't remember. Um, Law was the head coach at Cal Poly, and then 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 he was um, at one time he was at Texas Tech, and, and they anyway. There's a tie in there with Lyle through Dave. Um, anyway, yeah, we went out there because we, I was really interested in these simulated pressures. You know, he calls them creepers. And then, um, and that's where we started, you know, we started, uh, talking ball with each other. And you guys came up with the name burn. So you end up going to visit, you put your own spin on something. He ends up borrowing the name from you. And so I just, I find, I see, and again, going back to the anthropology comment, like, I find this stuff fascinating. A lot of people think I'm insane that I would, like, I'm this, like, excited about that. But, you know, when you're trying to trace things back, I think it also helps you learn, okay, where did this come from? Why was this done? I think it influences the what, and it helps you piece things together. I did, I was doing a video on, um... Speaking of Dave, uh, some of the creepers that he came up with, the origins of them. And so I had a video of some of the tape that he had used to study. And so I went back and I found the origins of some of his creepers and where they came from. And so I made this, I was making this video and I pull up this video and it says sub whip 53 adjust. And I went, which is what he calls Brady. And I go. I've seen this before. Well, 48 yep. hours later, <laughs> I'd gone through everything I had, but Rex Ryan stuff, Vic Fangio stuff, or not Vic Fangio, rather the, the um, Greg Madison stuff, all this stuff and pieced it all back together just to be like, Oh yes, this is it. This all fits together. And that was really it. <laughs> I spent two days of my life, you know? And then of course the video got derailed and everybody's like, where's the video? So, I mean, I, I find this stuff fascinating to talk about and the origins of it. But so when you're getting in a three by one, you're bringing down your strong safety. I'm guessing you call them strong and free. You're talking about the, 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 the yeah, the passing strength safety. Yes. Do you call them, do you play strong yep. and free or left and right? Or how, how do you do that? Oh, shoot. We've called them free and rope free to the field, rover to the boundary. We've gone free and strong. Um, and then we've gone field safety and boundary safety. Okay. So that's right. I remember hearing something about that with the field and boundary. So you're bringing the field safety, strong safety, whatever you want to call him. He's coming down. He's going to be your strong hook defender, but he's really, he's playing gun on three. So he's playing match three on number three. Correct. Yeah. If they're playing gone. Yeah. Then yes. he, he's matching. He's matching three. Yep. So in his technique will be the same as the guy on number two, right? There's no real big difference. Correct. No. Okay. Now, yep. let me yep. ask you this, yep. because again, a lot of the stuff that the frame of reference for coaches is like, uh, 
and where this I find again I find this stuff fascinating. You know, I've watched a lot of Alabama and Georgia. You know, Bama they'll play zone it if the back is strong, gone if the back is weak. Georgia tries mm-hmm. to play gone it unless the team is gun strong and they flare the back. So they'll they'll right. basically study. I mean, from what I can tell, I don't know this to be certain, but if a t- you know, I've, I'll watch when they get a fast four how they play it. And, you know, without anything coming back. So you're getting like vert, 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 and then swing with the back. Obviously, right. if if you get drive, you know, drive concept with two and three and then four swinging, then it all plays out. Yeah. At the end of the day, you, you have those components and then it's how you want to use them based off of what your matchups, mm-hmm. what the offense is doing. Um, and then, you know, when I say matchups, how you feel about playing gone with your linebacker on the back. Mm-hmm. Um and all all the all those different you know little things that come up um you as a as a defensive staff wrestle with and figure out what the best way to to defend it okay now and, and absolutely makes sense now where i think a lot of people got really excited about the gone concept on 3 is a lot of people I've learned, again, it's information that's out there. It's what's available to coaches. What do they learn? What do they hear? Right. Where I think this stuff, became, when Coach Aranda started talking about gone and doing these clinics, people got excited because up until that point, it had always been by the quote-unquote famous defenses or the defenses where the info's out there. You know, a lot of coaches I know, they'll adapt stuff from, from places just because the information gets out. Like, uh, you know, a a GA or somebody, and you know how it goes. A GA will share a playbook with somebody and then they'll share, Hey, don't, don't share this with anybody, you know, keep this between us. And then they accidentally share the wrong link or whatever. And then slowly it dribbles out. And I know guys that run defenses that the reason they do is because information became available to them and it was the best information out there. So for a long time, the best information was always staying weak side rotation. It's a lot of people call cover six. I believe you call cover five. Mm-hmm. Always staying weak side rotation, and your will is your three up is three player. Well, that's effing scary to a lot of people. There's a reason that Bobby Wagner makes $12 million a year or whatever, because there's very few people on the planet that can do it as well as him. And I know that's a lot of right. the, what they do. I mean, that, I mean, you saw it in this national championship game, poor tough Borland right. is having to play right. three up as three versus Devonte Smith, the Heisman winner. And it's hard. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I know the matchup in high school can be even more exacerbated. I mean, I got a guy who's as stiff as my hat band runs a five, four forty, trying to cover a kid who, Maybe isn't as fast as Devontae Smith, but he runs a four five instead of a four three or a four four. Well, that's still a bigger difference than four three against right. four eight. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of coaches got really excited when the gun stuff come came out because they're like, wait a minute, our weak hook defender isn't going to be by himself on three vertical. And a lot, I've seen a lot of coaches adapt this quickly. And this is a question I get a lot all the time. Hey, do you know about this gun stuff for three by one? Da, 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 da. So for the listeners, can you take us through? Because the the stuff on one and two is self-explanatory because you're not changing anything how you play uh, versus weak side rotation or strong side rotation and match three on one and two, right? Like there's no there's no difference. Right. Okay, so let's talk about number three. So your strong safety is coming down. 
He's going to play gone on three. Same technique. He's going to carry that all the way down on the field. So if he gets the bender right, he is going with three. Correct. Okay. How do you play your weak hook defender now? Yeah. So he'll 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 carry it, but then he'll he'll end up dropping it to the the weak hook three up player, where he will play it. I mean, obviously, if he goes in shallow right now, he drops it and it turns zone. Um, but you know, anything anything vertical or outside, you know, it's going to, it's going to play out like man. So, you know, big route, more of a red zone route, but anytime you bring one or two underneath and you bring three vertical and out, Mm -hmm. right. That's going to play out like man. Right. Um, but, um, you know, the, what we would call all go special, right. Four verts out of, out of three by one, he would be squeezing it to the post. And then he would eventually let it go and drop it, and the the, three, the we cook three up player would, would would take it. Okay, but he's carrying it longer than he normally would, and most he would carry the linebacker depth. You know, pass the linebacker and then and then drop it. Um, but the whole again, the whole, the whole idea behind the gun and the three by one came back to three by one back strong. Right, all the RPO, right? They want to throw bubble and all that stuff out there. Um, they want to throw slants. You're not putting your, you know, your Mike Mike Backer in a in a in a bind. Um, he can play the run, and you know, you can play tight coverage on all those those release throws um, that the quarterback, you know might be used to, to getting with a, with a two backer box, you know, they're thinking two backer box. All right. I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hand it. I'm going to throw it. And but now you're playing tight coverage. So three is vertical. So you're getting all those specials. So I want to clear this up. So the weak hook defender is going to overtake three, but he's being escorted by the strong hook defender, right? He's carrying it. Correct. He makes Correct. And, he, and I'm guessing if for some reason he gets sucked up on play action or whatever, you're going to say, Hey, if, if, Nobody comes to pick it up. Stay on it. I'm guessing, right? Like Correct. you're not just gonna let it go. Okay, Correct. so you have that secured yeah, so element, like, like pop pass, right? You right. Know, they just freaking ride, ride the back, and and then they take they take three straight up the pipe, right? And and you and you're playing zone, and the strong hooks dropping outside shoulder, and he just runs right. You know, it's now he's playing man on. So now, once the strong hook escorts the over route to the weak hook defender, he sees it secured. Is he now going to turn back and help on two? He's got a QB key. If the QB's looking out there, yep. If not, no. He's going to let the QB's eyes take him where he needs to go. Okay. So the max depth he'll get is 10, 12 yards? Yeah. He, he, he basically, once he lets it go to the three up, we cook three up, he becomes a a robber. Right? He's he's a low hole QB key. Um. Yeah, he's just letting the quarterback take him take him where he needs to go. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that that okay, that that makes sense. See, I was in, and this is why I'm glad I asked and I take it piece by piece because I know some guys that just say, "Listen, maybe it's their weak hook defender's not as athletic. Just play it out like man free. Just stay on it. Don't come off. Don't be a robber." So, I'm glad I asked that uh because that's why that's why we do this is to to figure out the differences. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody might be listening to this and be like, well, you know, Vash just had on 
you know, Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame last week, and they talked about match. They play basically similar stuff. Why is he talking about this again? Well, it's because it, it's the nuances that make the difference because it sets off a chain of events. If you do this differently, then this happens differently, then this happens differently. And maybe like the Cincinnati stuff is interesting because they basically, they had these two giganto linebackers. I don't know if you watched them last year. They plug and do stuff with their inside backers because they just had these guys. One's like six, five. He's an inside linebacker. It's Mm -hmm. insane. Well, most, not everybody has that, but you may be in high school and you all of a sudden this year, you may have a giant linebacker and you're like, Oh shoot. I remember that podcast that Vast did when he, that guy, he had giant linebackers. Like, I have guys hit me up all the time. Oh, man. Right. You know, I never thought I would do this, but we had XYZ, so I went back and listened to ABC, and it helped me. You know what I mean? So, okay, right. so your weak hook defender is going to drop. He's going to take three up as three. Uh, your four to, the other guy is going to be your four to first crosser. That pretty much takes care of uh, right. the burn coverage. I want to talk about this. This is the other question that I think that you get a lot asked a lot of. I've watched every Apple Cup that you've played. When you're at Washington, I have a love-hate relationship with the Air Raid. I've coached in an Air Raid-based offense every year in my career, but two. And both of those were uh, uh, junior college and Division three. So I think every year that I was in high school, we were a vertical-based passing team spread, 10 personnel looks. Mm-hmm. If I was in high school and I had to take over a program, I would probably start there. But I also enjoy really seen it get its ass kicked if we're being honest so and you've been the <laughs> king of ass kickings uh uh the last six seven years and so i've i've kind of seen your game plan again i'm not kind of seen your game plan i see all your games but a lot of it was i wasn't trying to diagnose so much as just soak in the the ass whooping but um i noticed this year in the sec that a lot of people were dabbling in taken pieces of that plan and recognized a lot of it. And so I I couldn't have you on the show and not ask you about defending Leach, defending at Washington state, playing that offense and, and some of the philosophy behind it. And then maybe get into some of the coverages that you ran and how you played your fronts and all that. So let's start philosophy of defending the air raid. Where are you starting? What are you trying to take away first? What are your thoughts there? So the 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 number one premise of defending it is keeping the ball in front, and it is it's a it's um you know they're taught the receivers are taught to run to space, run to 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 air, and and then the quarterback is is taught the same thing. So um you know. We've, we've learned over the years, um, dropping eight, right? Flooding underneath zones, only rushing three guys, um, uh, frust- frustrates them, right? And so, based off of, you know, filling all those windows, the, uh, the quarterback, um, you know, is taught to, to dump it to the flat, check down, right? So, you're keeping the ball in front and, and then, breaking on the ball and then coming there with, with bad intentions and, and physical tackles, forcing turnovers. And, um, you know, over time, I'm talking about the game during the, during the game over time that 
you know, quarterbacks are competitive guys and they start to hold on to the ball, trying to, to wait for something to come open. Um, we get sacks, rushing only three guys because of that, or they start forcing the ball into tight windows or, or, um, which in turn, you know, the ball sails on them. It's a tip ball and, and you get interceptions. And so, um, using the old bend, but don't break mentality is, is probably a good description. Um, that's the starting point. And then you got your changes off of that where you're showing, showing, um, zone, um, two high looks and that, but you're actually ends up playing out like man. And so now it's tight coverage with, and so now the quarterback's got to process that. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's always a cat and mouse game, giving the quarterback different looks, you know, but uh, it all starts from the premise of keeping the ball in front, playing with great leverage, force him to check it down, not get big plays and make him, make him drive the field and earn it. And then usually when offenses get into it, especially those type of offenses, when they get into the, the red zone, um, you know, it's, a, it's just, it's tough for offenses to sustain drives for 15, 16 plays for, for touchdowns. Yeah, that's, um, it, it's basically who can be more patient. It's funny because when I play regular offenses, spread, pro style, whatever, I'm, I can get very impatient. It's one of my worst, uh, personality traits as a coordinator. And I used to joke around that I had the emotional call of the night where I would just snap and we'd bring six or seven and peel and whatever. And, uh, but when I play teams that are system-based, like the air raid, like I'll play a regular spread offense and I I'll be impatient. But for some reason with the air raid, I become like Zen Buddha. I'm, I'm that in the wing T and the double wing and like single wing stuff. I, you know, they're going to go for it on fourth down. It's okay. Like that, that's half the battle with high school is just brainwashing them. Like not to get upset if they get a fourth down conversion. Right. Because it's going to happen. Like it's, you know, and, and if you try to take every play and, I, and what you said, something that I think is just a, is a brilliant lesson for young coordinators. If you take everything, you, you want to take one things, one play at a time. But if you get too frustrated on a certain play, mm -hmm. you have to keep it in the big picture because well, they want you to. They want you to bring six right. and get stupid, and then that's yeah. when they get you by the ass. Yeah. Right, and that's 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 human competitive nature, right? Yeah, especially from a defensive standpoint, it's like you know, you want to smother the best you can. I mean, right? You want to dominate them, right? And then, but at the end of the day, it's it's about um, who who scores more points and, than the other right. the other guy? And so, yeah, that balancing is that's the that's the art of of coordinating and calling defenses. Right, and and I think you know it's it's not in our nature as coaches. I mean, how many great coaches do you know that are super patient individuals? Head, you know, college football head coaches, especially with great job security, are one of the least patient people on the planet. You know what I mean? Like, I want this cut up now. I need this now. And then all of a sudden you get in a big game, the you know, your rivalry game, and now you're going to win by the virtue of patience. Like, <laughs> that just goes against your, right. like you said, it goes against your human nature. And so, but you got to, you got to, because all you got to do is win one of those first downs. 
And how I would look at it is, and I don't know how you feel about this, but how I would look at it is if they got over like five yards on first down, I'd be kind of like, all right, they're going to get a first. Because what I, I wasn't giving right. up. But I didn't want to get crazy and be like, it's third and three. Yeah. Oh, we have to bring everybody. And it's just like, right. it was no. to me, it was more about winning first down than third down. Because if it was third and three. You are you are 100% right. Because uh, if you can get them, get them off schedule by by getting a uh, tackle for loss or, or an incomplete pass or whatever on first or second down, and it's now, now you got them in third and longer, now, now you're – you got a higher percentage of being able to dictate what you want to do and, and, and be successful. I mean, I treated third and three, like third and 22 sometimes. Cause I just, in my brain, I'm like, because now obviously again, and I don't want to give the impression we gave up, but I wasn't going to get stupid and start, you know, dropping right. or, or you're not dropping, uh, bringing six. And cause that's what they want. They're, they're waiting for you. They're doing the same thing. They're waiting mm-hmm. for you to get frustrated. And, but these guys are used to scoring in chunks, especially a guy like Leach. And he will get impatient. And then you just have to be, stay patient. Cause I've only met, I've met a very few offensive coordinators who will truly stay patient the entire game. Or it's really not even about the offensive coordinators anymore. That's the problem with giving quarterbacks freedom is. You know, now now you're. It's not that you're trying to get in a game of who's more patient with Leach. You're trying to get into who's more patient versus a guy like Gardner Minshew or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. and that's what yeah, they start getting frustrated and right. they start forcing things, holding holding on the ball, trying to make do too much. Well, shit, coach. The first read on every one of the air raid plays is like a vertical ball, <laughs> the pre-snap read. You know what I mean? And you guys right. should press corners a lot, so. It doesn't take that much of an excuse to be like, I think they're pressed. I'm throwing the fade. You know what I mean? Like the college kids. Now, right. getting into specifics, I you know, you guys did a lot of, from what I could tell, yeah, tr- traditional coverages, you know, five under three deep, four under four deep, those sort of things. But one thing I noticed a lot of was you guys played a lot of three cloud to the field. Did you talk about that? Mm-hmm. It's just a really good change up to, um, you know, a lot of the coverage that we talk about, whether you're playing palms, quarters, um, cover three, and you're, um, you know, you're stretching the vertical of two until three, something takes you to the flat. The, the, the field, the field flat is usually, is usually going to be there. Right. And a lot of those, if they have a quarterback that can make that throw, you know, if they don't, then, you know, you're going to say, all right, Try and make that throw down after down after down, right? So, just cl- being able to cloud the field is a, just a great changeup to mess with, uh, you know, what the quarterback's seeing, and he gets comfortable, and then you know, you're, you're 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 bailing that that corner, and then all of a sudden he's sort of choking her down, and, and he's jumping things in the flat because he knows he's got help over the top, and so. I know that's been a successful coverage over the years against those that 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 type of offense. Um, you know, getting big hits and forcing turnovers or big or big big breakups or or you know best case scenarios pick sixes. Yeah, I mean that the great thing about the the three cloud out of eight man drop spacing is you're able to match those fast threes to the flat without giving up whole shots. 
Correct. And you're not, and, and you don't have to use the overhang where, you know, you can get the outside receiver cracking on an overhang. Cause it's just like defending the run. If you fit, mm-hmm. if all your mm-hmm. coverages are the same with your overhang is like in match three or match quarters or bracket quarters, you're still talking mm-hmm. about an overhang who's outside of number two. Right. You know, at the end yep. of the day, if, if they can run stick versus the same look, if they can fit it in between the backer and the nickel, they're going to take it all day. But now all of a sudden mm-hmm. your nickel's sitting, which is telling the quarterback, throw the ball out into the flat. And then they're like, okay, well, now I got to look at the corner. He's cloud. I'm going to throw the whole shot. Well, you can't because that guy's the deep outside third. It really just clogs up a lot of stuff. I think it's fantastic. And you saw it a lot this year. I mean, I saw it, I saw it from, and I don't know, you don't have to tell us if you don't want to, but I watched some Georgia play Mississippi State, and I'm like, I think they called Coach uh, Coach K and Coach Lake. You know, I think that they, because I, you know, I know they've talked to you guys and whatever in the past, but I, I, and then I saw Arkansas. I think Arkansas was the first team to do it. And again, I don't know if they called you or not, I'm, but I'm sure. Right. I'm. I, I, the video's I, all out there. They can. They can. They can. Everybody can watch the videos now with right the internet and everything. So. Well, shoot, there was, what, seven years of it? Uh, 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 you had six years of data. Did you play him this past year? Right. We did not. It, 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 was, uh, you got, it was a COVID. Uh, oh, that's they, right. They were, he was gone anyway. They had, they, they had a COVID issue. Yeah, it was Rolovich. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you had 14 through 20, uh, 14 through 19, rather. I mean, you had six years of it. But I was, I was talking to somebody, and I saw, you know, I saw LSU try to do – play man and bring the house and, and saw how that worked out game one. And then I saw Arkansas yep. week two. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I bet you, I bet you as soon as Leach signed that deal, the the Huskies were getting a lot of phone calls. Uh, anything else that you liked versus the air raid that you would recommend to coaches? Cause we see a lot of it. I mean, I know in, in college there's, there's dabblings of it in a lot of offenses. I know that like the number one pass in football now is the deep over cross, Y cross or whatever. But I mm-hmm. we see proportionally more at the high school level of out of the box air raid. There's a lot of guys that run the air raid that sell systems. Guys like me who are defensive guys that are now taking over a program and they need a box, you know, they can't find a great OC with his own system. So they get an out of the box offense. You know, it is a fun right. offense to talk about. It is a fun offense to run, especially during the summer. And you're shredding everybody when not everybody has all their fast three matches and whatnot figured out. But, you know, we see it a lot more in, in high school than you do in college. So this is a this is a topic that we get a lot of. The key on all that is just getting good good depth in your drops and QB keying, you know. Um, not Not – staring at routes you know and and then and then the, the awesome part of whether you're playing air raid or not is just it just gives your corners some relief you know they, they're not always playing zero you know in today's football you know maybe not today's football but over the years of just this this smothering lockdown quarters where corners are basically zero um all the time Right now, last thing, coach, before I let you go. Um, well, second to last thing, I know we've been talking for a while. You guys do a lot of four man pressures, a lot of what 
my listeners refer to, we talk a lot about as creepers or zone replace pressures where you mm-hmm. are bringing a non-traditional rusher from the second or third level and you're dropping a traditional rusher, usually somebody on the first level, a rushing yep. four, playing different zones and things. Uh, I know that you guys preferred uh, middle, a lot of middle field close coverages when you were calling defense in Seattle. But um, could you talk a little bit about some of your favorite uh, and what I, I don't know what you refer to them as, but the creepers and why you yeah. like them so much over. I mean, besides the obvious, well, if you can get pressure with four instead of five, why not do four? But more schematically, right. like what are some of the stuff that you like? Some things that maybe you think have a lot of carryover kind of some of the creepers that you think you get the most bang for your buck. You know, I have a lot of listeners who coach defenses where they have to share players on the different side of the ball. So maybe two or three things that you think could get maximum impact with not a lot of install time. Well, I think a lot of it comes, starts with who, who you're, who you're, uh, who you're bringing, you know, like, so if you have a, a nickel or outside backer that from the field, that's a really good blitzer, then, you know, we would, that would be highlighted. Um, you just bring in the guy, uh, your flat player from the field, whoever that might be, and dropping a, a boundary, the, the end that's into the boundary. And so, as from an install and a learning perspective, you know, everybody learns curl flat drops, hook drops, we cook strong hook drops, and and then you're just you're mixing and matching the. Uh, Whoever you're bringing, you're going to take someone out of the out of the out of the front and put them into coverage. And so, going back to who your best who your best blitzers are, it might be an inside backer. And so then, are you going to which one are you going to bring? Are you going to bring either one of them based off of the the formations you're getting? So you, so your 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 underneath matchup spacing, your hook droppers are are in better position to cover. Um, you know, you factor that into it. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're bringing somebody, if you're bringing somebody from the secondary, um, or from from um, from the inside linebacker spot, um, you know, one one of your one of your linemen, usually an end, is going to be the guy that's going to going to replace him in coverage. Um, the the one that that's probably the most productive um, in, a, in a, you know, rundown, mixed down situation, first and second down is, you know, you're bringing the, the corner, the corner cat um, just from a disguise. You can disguise it well. Um, that corner is a lot of time press bail or press man. And then, and then you bring him slant the line and, and drop your field end into a into a hook. Um, that's that's always been a a very high percentage productive one. And then um, for I know for teams that like to um, offenses that like to run RPOs and man block um, the front, bringing an inside guy with a read wrap off of <clears throat> with one of the ends. So, um, if you're bringing your you're bringing your boundary boundary inside backer or weak back or inside backer, and then the boundary weak 
defensive end <clears throat> on high hat on run. He's playing the C gap, and then on high hat, he, he's going to wrap wrap to space off of the penetration of the the defensive tackle and the linebacker to the to the same side as him. Those 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 have probably been the um, just those two concepts. At the end of the day, you're bringing you're bringing a guy off the edge from the field. You can bring a guy off the edge from the field. You can bring a guy off the edge from the boundary, and you can bring one of the inside guys um, inside. And then the next the next level of it is okay. You do that out of you can do that out of a four man spacing. You can do it out of three man spacing, or you can do it out of a bear look. And so you just for the kids, it's it's same as same as but same as same as but based off the call. And then to the offense, you know, they got to they got to be able to handle protection wise and IDing who 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 they're IDing based off the different fronts that you that you potentially could do it out of. So I hope that answered your question. No, that's great. <laughs> I got a couple questions about the the pressure. So you're bringing the backer, let's say. So let's say the, the boundary inside backer one is intriguing to me. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing him a gap, B gap, B gap, right? Cause you want the looper to wrap around. That would bring him to the a gap, a gap. I'm sorry. So yep. how are you? So you're going to bring him through the a, are you having then a three technique in the B gap? He's going to work to contain on pass. Yep. Okay. Yep. He's he's gonna play the B gap on run, and then he's just gonna he's gonna get vertical. Um, he's gonna get to contain through the B, or or he just he knows at the end of the day he's contained. So if he can get through the B, great. If not, then he's got to you got to get across the tackle space. I really like that. So we call that a read pop or a read text. Um, mm-hmm. I have seen that off the edge. So let's say we're going to bring the boundary inside backer, but off the edge. Let's say it's a, a two by two. It's an edge look, right? Three by one. Right. It's the weak safety where the end is going to read the tackle. Or if he blocks down, I'm going to come off his ass. If he fans at okay. me, I'm going to loop to the mm-hmm. a with an edge guy, but I've never seen it with having the B gap player set the edge on pass, like run the tech stunt and then bring with an inside mm-hmm. pressure. I've not, I've not seen that a lot. Um, I know I've seen coach Aranda run some stuff like that, but that's, I really, really like that. Um, it's, uh, so the one I, the one I was describing, uh, you just talked about, it's a, it's easier to disguise. Right. Versus the, the one where the back, when the DB's coming off the edge, it could look like you know weak rotation, right? Um, yeah, that's why I like it. If you got the backers showing off the edge, that you know that's tough to disguise. You're gonna right. eventually he's got he's got to get in position to be able to come off the edge, so right? Which is why I like be- I like what you're doing. I like what you're doing better because because like you said, I think that's fantastic. Now, speaking of DBs coming off the edge, I know that you brought a lot of edge pressure from the field, but you used your deep safety a lot. I'm guessing for the same reason, because you didn't want to get, I mean, I know you brought the nickel, but 
you would bring your deep safety off the edge because you didn't you wanted to disguise, right? So it would look like burn, and then the guy would Correct. just keep going. Is that for the same reason? So it it muddies up the QB read. Yeah, and just yeah, yeah, exactly. He's down. It could be could be covered three, could be man, um, and it, or or he's coming. Yep. Awesome stuff, Coach. Okay, we're gonna wind this down. Um, thank you so much for your time. Before you go, I have a question that I ask everybody that comes on the podcast. It helps give the listeners a flavor of the coach's personality, how they think, what they do in a pressure situation. So I'm going to run this scenario by you, and I want to hear your first thoughts off the top of your head. Okay. National championship. You're up by two. The okay. offense is a great field goal kicker. So they're trying to get in right. field goal range to knock it through, win yep. by one, go home. Yep. It's fourth right. and nine from the 35-yard line going in. 11 seconds left. They have one mm-hmm. timeout so they can throw the ball wherever. But mm-hmm. they trust their kicker. They're not going to try and throw a Hail Mary or anything cute. No, not the uh, the old hitch and ladder, hook and ladder that y'all are famous for up there in Boise. They're going to try and get a first, and then they're going to try to line up, maybe throw the ball over the middle, take the timeout, set up, get the field goal unit on, and be ready to go. So that's the scenario. 11 seconds left. They got one timeout. You're either going to get a two-by-two or three-by-one formation, all things being equal, meaning, and I know it's hard to defend things on paper, but take any defense you've had versus any offense that you've faced where things are equal, meaning there's not like one stud that's gonna get they're gonna go to because obviously double the stud and go, you know, that'd be a lot of people's answer. Right. So there's nothing that like they have different weapons. They're they're either they're really good and you're really good, or they're really bad and you're really bad, however you want to think of it. I mean, it's national championships, so it's probably gonna be pretty good. You're probably gonna be pretty good too. But there's not one go-to guy. All things being equal, what is your gut telling you off the top of your head? What are you calling? 11, 11 seconds, fourth and nine. Um, he, he said, I'm going to, I know it's going to be a three by one. No, it's two by two or three by one. It was, but it's going to be, oh, you, you know, you. it's going to be a four open formation. They're not going to line up. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna, uh, I would, I would probably uh, bring a, a two man simulated pressure. Inside backers. Play, so you're playing, you're play, it could be, or it could be, uh, it could be a, it could be a, uh, you know, if, you, if you're, you know, you're playing a, a sub defense where you're playing, um, you know, a dime. It could be a, it could be right. an inside backer um, or a or a DB. But yeah, it would be <clears throat> man under too deep, and you're and you're bringing bringing four more. Love it. But but not traditional four, right? Like a some right. kind of game, some kind of little you know, show them bear, bring bring two guys through the A gaps. I don't know, something like that. I love it. That's you're playing tight playing tight coverage, you got guys over the top, um, and then you're, you know, trying to get a negative play. Get them out of field goal range. I'm gonna laugh my ass off one year when um by the way, great answer but I'm going to laugh my ass off one year when, you know, I started asking this question two and a half years ago to like high school coaches 
And now as the podcast has grown, I've had Super Bowl winners and national champions. And I'm going to laugh my ass off. And one of these days, you're going to be in that situation. You're going to be on the sideline. You're going to be dog cussing me, son of a bitch, faster. I gave my answer away. <laughs> and I hope nobody listened to that damn podcast. Anyway, coach, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I, this has been something that I've wanted to do for a very long time. Listeners, uh, uh, before you go, give, uh, give the listeners your, um, Twitter handle. And by the way, listeners, this is St. Patty's day coaches on vacation back in Seattle. He took two hours out of his day to talk to me. The guy barely even knows me. He's doing it for you guys. So he's going to drop his Twitter and you're going to send him a thank you because this has been awesome. Coach, what's your Twitter handle? It is at coach K underscore FB coach. Coach K underscore FB coach. Yeah. Okay. Don't forget the at. Yeah, don't forget the at. This is Twitter, damn it. Uh, <laughs> coach, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, a lot of fun talking to you guys. Send Coach love. Send him your best players and uh, hook him. Hook him, baby. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you to Coach Kwiatkowski for coming on, for giving us this time during spring break, St. Patty's Day of all days. We really appreciate it. Learned a lot. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Coach Fast, the show's account at MDGA Podcast, and the offensive account at Run Fast Option. For links to my YouTube, my Patreon, my website, my CoachTube course, as well as the CoachTube course of the week for offense and defense, go to linktree.com slash Coach Everything is there. If you don't remember anything else, remember linktree.com slash Coach Also on the Linktree, you will find where you can register for the Kurt Warner Q&A webinar and also ask Kurt a question. Save the date, April 5th, 8 p.m. Eastern for two hours, free. Just got to register. Also remember blitz.huddle.com. The replays of the Blitz 21 Summit is up there for now before they are migrated onto the blog pages. So go ahead and check that out. Please do keep in mind when I said about Catapult and Exos, ask those coaches you've talked to, tell them what's going on, spread the word about this crap because it needs to stop. We got to unify together, protect each other, and keep the learning going. Thank you to the sponsors, Coach Tube and Huddle. And as always, don't forget the quarterback can't see with tears in his eyes.